Well, our second scripture reading today, uh, and the one that will be the basis for my sermon, it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 15 through 21. I'll give you a moment to turn there in your own Bibles. Matthew 12, verses 15 through 21. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out, no one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it put their hope in the name of Jesus. Roughly a thousand years before the birth of our Lord, a young man was playing the harp for his king. He, he was a soldier, the, the bravest and most skilled warrior among his people. He had killed a lion. He had killed a bear. He had slayed a giant twice his size. Every time he went out to fight, he never lost a battle. And the people, they, they loved him for it. In fact, his, his popularity had grown so great that it had surpassed that of the king. You see, they would, they would credit the king for slaying thousands, but they would credit this young man for slaying tens of thousands. Naturally, this made the king jealous. And while he was listening to this young man play his harp, an evil spirit came upon him, and, and he tried to kill this brave soldier by, by throwing his spear at the man. Now remember, this, this was the king's best warrior. I'm sure if he wanted to, he could have grabbed that spear and finished off the king in an instant. But instead of defending himself, this harp player fled. Of course, by now you should have figured out that I'm talking about David and King Saul. Prior to him being the king's top commander, David, this, this valiant warrior, had been promised the throne. He had been anointed by the prophet Samuel as a successor to Saul. How easy would it have been to just fight back and take, the, take his throne? I mean, after all, what, what, what Saul was doing was inexcusable. He was attacking an innocent man. David he would have been justified in defending himself. Not to mention he had the support of the masses. The people loved him more than the king. But despite all these things, David chose a different path. He did not try to take control through his own abilities. He did not rely on the use of violence to achieve power. Instead, he, he fled and waited patiently for the Lord to provide a way. And even then, he was, he was given opportunities to, to slay King Saul when no one else was around. But he chose 
not to, for he did not want to lift his hand against the Lord's anointed. Instead of relying on his own strength, David waited patiently for the Lord to act. As we have been going through the Gospel of Matthew, we have been seeing this this kind of growing tension between the, the Jewish religious leaders and Jesus. And this was particularly true for the sect known as the Pharisees. Now, now the Pharisees were notorious for their strict observance to the law. They believed that in order for Israel to to once again find favor with God, they needed to, to separate themselves from the Gentiles in their idolatrous ways and return to obedience under the law of Moses. If they wanted to gain back control of their nation and see the kingdom of God arrive, then they needed to be they needed to become compliant to the commands of God. Theirs was a message of works righteousness. They believed that salvation would come through their own effort. And this message that they preached became popular among the people. You see, the, these Pharisees, they, they didn't hold any true power. Not like the Sadducees, not like the Herodians. No, the only authority that they had was the sway of the people. They, they, they held the attention of the masses. And this, this is why we see this animosity growing against Christ. For Jesus not only challenged their notions of finding salvation through a form of works righteousness, but he was also winning over the heart of the people. The crowds were now following him. And it was was last week that we saw a vivid expression of this divide played out in the accounts that we read, particularly when Jesus healed the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. If you recall, Jesus went into their synagogue and the Pharisees asked him a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Even though Jesus knew this was a trap, he he demonstrated that the heart of the law was to do good, to love your neighbor. And this was especially true on the Sabbath. He, He then healed this man, proving that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. But this did not turn the heart of the Pharisees. Instead of repenting and and trusting in Jesus, we read this. Look at Matthew 12, verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. The irony couldn't be any richer. Jesus demonstrates that, that, that the Sabbath is for man's good. And what do we see the Pharisees doing? The exact opposite. They use the Sabbath to conspire to murder. But why did they do this? Because they had rejected the righteousness of Christ. They wanted to justify themselves by their own merit. You see, Jesus was a a huge threat to all that they stood for. He had discredited their teaching, and the people loved him for it. In essence, he was taking away all that they had. And instead of swallowing their pride and seeing the error of their ways, they dug their heels in the sand and plotted to kill. 
just like King Saul. They, they let their vanity fuel their hatred as they succumbed to murderous thoughts. This sets the stage for our passage for today. Let's look at Matthew 12, verses 15 and 16. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. The first thing we must notice here is that Jesus was aware of something. What was he aware of? What we had just talked about, the the scheming of the Pharisees. The fact that this group of men were, were plotting to take his life. Now, how would Jesus know this? It's not, like, it's not like they were discussing these things in public. And I'm pretty sure that Christ didn't plan a spy in their midst. So how was he aware? As we've seen in the past, Jesus in his divine nature knows the hearts and the thoughts of men. He, and so he was aware that these Pharisees wanted to take his life. Thus, he withdrew. The question is, why did he withdraw? Was he afraid of what these men would do to him? Of course not. Jesus knew that he was destined for the cross. He did not fear death. So why then did he run away? I think there were a couple of reasons. One of them being that the timing wasn't right. He would decide his fate and no one else. Look at, look at John 10, verse 17 and 18. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And so we see that the, that the timing of Jesus' death would not be in the hands of men. Rather, it would be determined by the Father as he commanded his Son. These Pharisees could plot and scheme all they wanted, but they never really had any control. Yes, Jesus would die, but it would be on his timing and not theirs. But, but it was more than just timing. For Jesus' primary purpose in becoming a man wasn't to battle with men, but to rescue them. And that being the case, there was more for him to do. There was other work that he had to accomplish before his appointed time. Putting all his energy in, in, in engaging these Pharisees, men who were unrepentant, that, that would have just taken away from his more important work. And so we see that time and again, before his final week, Jesus would often retreat after contending with these religious leaders. Just as David waited on the Lord, so too Jesus demonstrated his patience by withdrawing. Going back to our passage in Matthew, the the other thing that we must notice is that Jesus continued to cure people on the Sabbath. It said that many followed him and that he healed all their sick. Christ wasn't going to settle for just one man. No, he was going to demonstrate his authority as this Lord of the Sabbath. 
you gotta love our Lord. These these Pharisees, they, they were they were just itching for a reason to accuse Jesus. And they thought that they had him cornered with this man with the shriveled hand. But Jesus destroyed their arguments, demonstrating that the Sabbath was, was meant for man's benefit, and that in actuality, healing this man is what the Sabbath was all about. And then as he left, he just goes nuts by healing all who came to him. Now, now I and my sinful flesh, I would have done this out, just out of spite. But Jesus does this not for his own benefit, but out of his great mercy towards those who are helpless. How wonderful and compassionate is our Savior. But he also warned these people not to tell anyone who he is. Again, we must ask the question, why? You see, these, these people who were being healed were putting two and two together. They understood that Jesus was the Son of David, the Messiah, this was the good news that they, that they could share with their neighbors. So why would Jesus tell them to be quiet about who he is? Once more, this, this has to do with timing. Part of his reasoning was to avoid the confrontation that this, this messianic fervor would bring. Jesus knew that, the, that, that with more and more people recognizing him as a Messiah, the enthusiasm of the people would grow and there would be the temptation to build an army around him and try to make him their king. In the Gospel of John, we see an example of this. Look at, look at John chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is, who, is to come to, who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Notice what was going on here. Jesus had just fed the 5,000 and the people recognized him as the Messiah. And their first thought was, was to pick up their swords and make him their king through the use of force. But what did Jesus do? He withdrew. Here's the thing. Jesus, he was walking this fine line between making enemies with the Pharisees and having the masses declare an all-out war upon the Romans. And just as David would have been justified by, by picking up that spear and taking the throne through violence, so too Jesus, he could have gathered these people around him and taken his throne as their rightful, as their rightful king through the use of force. But the kingdom of heaven isn't brought about by defeating earthly enemies. No, no. The kingdom of heaven advances by defeating sin, death, and the devil. Jesus was waging a spiritual battle, not a physical one. If anything, Christ had nothing but love for his enemies, whether they were the, the, the Pharisees or the Romans. And so, he withdrew. For the war that he waged was not against man, but for man. He would be patient. He would wait. For his time had not yet 
come. And this is why he warned the people that he was healing, not to tell anyone who he was. But let's continue on. Look back again at at Matthew chapter 12, this time starting in verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. What a beautiful depiction of our Lord. This passage is taken from Isaiah chapter 42. And in it we see who Jesus is. That he is this chosen servant. This one who is loved by his Father. And we see as well where where Jesus draws his strength. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is by the Holy Spirit that Christ advances his kingdom. And we see what he accomplishes. That he proclaims justice to the nations. In other words, he, he writes every wrong. Not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. But what is most telling is that this quote from Isaiah demonstrates how this chosen servant of God accomplishes his work. Look again at verses 19 and 20. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. From the very first verse in his gospel, Matthew has been emphasizing Jesus as both the messianic son of David and the matchless son of God. But here, he he wants to make sure that the reader understands that, that viewing this Messiah as solely a warring figure is to misunderstand both who Jesus is and why he came. For the ministry of Christ must also be understood as the fulfillment of Isaiah's suffering servant. Here's the thing. At his first advent, his first coming, Jesus didn't come charging in on his war horse with with sword in hand, ready to slay the wicked. No. He came with gentleness and concern for those who are weak. He was patient even with those who hated him. I mean, look at these words. A a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Take a look at this picture. How easy would it be to just snap that thing in half? In fact, it's tempting. I mean, just put it out of its misery. But not Jesus. He is gentle with it making sure that it does not break. Or think about a candle where the flame is dying. If you even approach it too fast, the the gentle breeze from your body will likely snuff it out. But Jesus comes to it cautiously, with patience, as to not put out the flame. 
This is the, the, the care that he takes to those who are broken. He came not to battle, but to heal. Let me ask you, do you feel weak, like, like a flame that is about to go out? Do you feel broken, like, like a bent reed about to snap in half? Christ approaches you with tender hands. He is God's chosen servant who will heal your wounds. He comes to you in the power of his Holy Spirit to fill your lamp with oil in order that your flame may never go out. I think often we tend to feel that God is displeased with us in some way. Because of our sins, we, we, we are like that bruised reed or that smoldering wick. We are damaged good, not worth the time or the effort. And if God, if he were ever to draw near to us, he would just put us out of our misery. If this is how you think, if this is a picture of how you believe God views you, then you have fallen into the trap of the Pharisees. For this is the fallacy that they believed. They looked to their own righteousness to earn God's favor. The only difference was that, was that they thought they were pulling it off. You, on the other hand, you realize that you have fallen short. And that, and that if you have to rely on yourself, then you have no hope. You have come under the peering eyes of a, of a judging God, and he has found you to be weak and broken. And yet now here, we see that Jesus, God's chosen servant, comes to you not with a warrior's mentality, taking his kingdom by force. Rather, he comes to you patiently, showing you great care. He will not snuff you out. Christ has not rejected you. On the contrary, he is looking to rescue you. Turn away from your sins and put your trust in him. Stop looking to your own good deeds or lack thereof and place your faith in a righteousness that is not your own. For this is who Jesus is. He is the one who leads justice to victory. And he does so with, with great patience and abundant compassion. Dear friends, know this, that as Christ's kingdom advances, the weak, they are not trampled to the ground. The broken are not pounded into a fine dust. For the justice that he brings comes through his own blood that was shed upon the cross. He set aside his own rights for the sake of you. This is why his yoke is easy and his burden is light. For he carried the weight of your sins to the cross. And it is why in his name the nations put their hope. Come to your gentle and patient king. Stop relying on your own goodness, on your own righteousness, and trust in him. Only in the name of Jesus can you have such hope. He will not let you break. He will not let your flame be extinguished. Let us pray. Father, we are overwhelmed 
by your goodness. We are not deserving of your great kindness. Your justice should, should snap us in half. Your breath should snuff us out. Yet in your mercy, you have shown to us great patience. You sent your Son, not, not to conquer us by force, but to heal our wounds, to die for our sins. Help us to repent and to, to trust in him by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.